today and next week, while Stephen is out on a much-deserved vacation, um, me and Steve Grissom are going to be doing little one-off sermons. And today, I am going to be preaching on a passage in one of Paul's letters to the church at Corinth. So if you remember, the last time I preached, I preached from another one of Paul's letters. I'm doing kind of the same thing today. And then next week, Steve Grissom will do uh, another little section for one of Paul's letters, and then we'll hop right back into Titus when uh, Stephen makes his return. So in this particular section that I'm preaching on today, Paul describes a supernatural experience given to him by God, but then there was an interesting fault also given to him by God to keep him from getting too prideful because of the supernatural experience first given to him by God. Paul describes this fault that God has given him as a thorn in the flesh. Now, when I say that Paul was given a thorn in the flesh, it's easy for me to then add that I'm sure that all of us had or do have thorns in our flesh. We don't really have to think too far to think of a metaphorical thorn that's bothering us today. Maybe a coworker that just gets on your nerves, a car that keeps breaking down, a misbehaving child, a teacher that just keeps giving you bad grades no matter what you try, or it could be something maybe inescapable, maybe a disability or a reoccurring illness, reoccurring nightmares or doubt, maybe severe depression or anxiety. It could even be part of a much larger problem, maybe harassment based on gender or race, disrespect from others. There are so many different examples, and I'm sure that an example has popped into each one of your heads. Now, when we get these thorns, our first reaction is, what, to to complain, right? Or grumble, or even try to suppress all the resentment only to grumble and complain later. Either way, the point I'm trying to make is that no one is particularly happy when these situations come into our lives. We can try whatever we can to get rid of this thorn, but rarely does any treatment work. Complaining and venting about it might make you feel better, but it's still there. If it's something that can be handled, like a difficult meeting at work, you can bite the bullet and just get it over with. But if it's something reoccurring or inescapable, then there might not be any obvious treatment for it. Not having a treatment for this thorn is bad enough, but what if things were going particularly well for you before this came along? What if you just got a major raise at work only to go out to the parking lot and find out that your car won't start? Yikes. Or if your marriage has been going great lately only for one of you to lose your job? Yikes. Or even you get back from a fantastic summer vacation only to find your workplace metaphorically or literally on fire in your absence. The point I'm trying to make is that the lows of life feel especially low after coming from a really high high. Life is going really well, and then a major thorn in your side appears. That's the situation that Paul is describing in our passage today. He has an incredible supernatural experience only to then experience a painful thorn in his side. We don't know exactly what this thorn is, but we know it wasn't pretty, as Paul pleads, pleads with the Lord to take it away. Now at this point in Paul's letter, 
he is explaining the foolishness of boasting, particularly of things unrelated to Christ and what Christ has done for us. He then shifts the boast of how good God has been to him. That's why he starts our passage today with saying, I must go on boasting. So now that we know the kind of context of what's happening, let's zoom into this particular passage and see what God has in store for our thorns. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except in my weaknesses. Though if I should risk the boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. All right. So we start out in the first four verses with Paul describing a supernatural experience that he has. And I know that he describes the situation as happening to a man in Christ, but we know it's really him, as in verse 7 he says, so to keep me from becoming conceited. So this revelation happens to Paul. He's just writing it as if it happened to someone else. It happened to him 14 years ago. But let's take a specific look at what happened. We see that Paul was able to see the third heaven. What is that? In general terms, especially when this letter was written, the first heaven refers to everything above us. Birds, clouds, sky. The second heaven will refer to what's above that. Space, planets, meteors, stars. The third heaven is what we today would call heaven. The place where God dwells, the place where we go when we die. So Paul was taken up into this heaven, whether in or out of the body, he does not know. Either just his consciousness was taken up or his whole body was taken up. He was able to hear and see some remarkable things. And it's really clear that Paul doesn't even really understand what's happening himself. As he continually mentions that God knows what's happening, he doesn't. He describes it as paradise, which you've seen heaven be described as before. But here's the craziest part, at least to me. Read verse 4 again. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. There are things in heaven that our earthly minds right now just cannot comprehend and cannot even begin to understand. For whatever reason, this revelation that Paul was given cannot be shared with others. And my best guess is because it's too hard to understand. It would be incomprehensible with our earthly finite understanding. God himself says in the book of Isaiah 
For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is God. We are humans. We aren't simply able to understand all the things of God. This supernatural experience is not something that happens every day. Yes, there are stories and instances both in the Bible and out of the Bible of people having supernatural experiences, sure. But the first-hand account that Paul gives here is really powerful. What does he do about it? Let's read on in verses 5 and 6. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except in my weaknesses. So if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Now this is something really interesting. This is the only time that Paul mentions this experience in the Bible. That's right, the only time. And this man wrote most of the New Testament. This is the only time he mentions this experience. You would think that with an experience like this, Paul would use it to glow over others. You think he would say, listen, I'm the guy that God took up to heaven. You ought to listen to me. Or I have special revelation from heaven. Let me tell you my words instead of Christ. Or even, I have been up to heaven. Give me money and I'll tell you about my experience and even tell you how to experience it too. But Paul does none of that. This is the only time he mentions this experience, and it's quick, to the point, and he even explains it as if it happened to someone else. He hasn't used this as a chance to boast, boost his own ego. He hasn't used it to start proclaiming his own name instead of Christ. He doesn't use it for profit or for fame or to, for anything else other than to prove a point. He says that even if he were to boast about it, he wouldn't be lying as it really did happen. He says, though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. So why doesn't he brag about it? Why doesn't he take, ex uh, ex why doesn't he take advantage of this? Why doesn't he get a book deal or go on tour? He says himself in verse 6, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he hears of me or sees in me. Paul doesn't want to overshadow the gospel. He doesn't want people to know him as the heaven guy, but the guy who spreads the gospel and can tell more about God. He wants to keep himself in his own proper place, which is a messenger of God, not a mini-God himself. It's a very humbling example for our own lives. But even if something supernaturally amazing does happen to us, and it does happen to some people, it still does not overtake the main importance of the gospel and Christ's work on the cross for us. Our experience doesn't overshadow the gospel as we are messengers for the gospel, not for ourselves. And ultimately, it's because the gospel is still the most important revelation from God. Nothing can overshadow it. The gospel will always frame our goals, encouragements, and desires. It is enough to know God more and to seek him through Christ and his word. We don't need special revelation about heaven or anything else to get to know him more as he has already given us his ultimate revelation in the Bible and has already given of himself through his Holy Spirit in communication 
with him in prayer. It's more than enough. Paul says earlier in this same letter, for we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand. In other words, he is appealing to what they already have learned from the Bible. He is meeting them at a common ground, something they all have access to, something they can all read, so that no one is higher or more important than the other. It's not about who knows more. It's about Christ. That's why whether it's me or Stephen or Steve Grissom next week that come up here and preach, we're preaching from the same Bible that you have in your bulletin that you can find in the church building or get online. You can look at the same words that we're looking at. You can test what we're saying. We're all meeting at a common ground to learn more about Christ. And this is a really big deal. As we know from stories of cults or other defunct religions, that there was often special revelation that only the leaders have access to, to keep them in charge. That's prideful and not of God, as we see with Paul's example here. Paul was given special revelation. He was taken up into heaven, but it was not for him to lord it over others or some special revelation that only he may know. He didn't even fully understand it himself. It was for the glory of God, not the glory of Paul. So if you hear that someone claims that they have special revelation from God, it needs to be tested against what we truly know is from God, the Bible. If it goes against the gospel which God has clearly given us, or if it tries to overshadow it, then it's wrong. Or as Paul himself writes, there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As I have said before, so now I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. If me or Stephen or whoever else preaches up here and preaches a gospel other than the one you have been given in the word of God, Something has to be done about that, because that's not okay. But that's why Paul wants to keep this supernatural experience on the down low. But even so, he experienced it, and we know that he did not use it for prideful gain. That must be pretty tough to do, right? But thankfully, he got a little help from a thorn. Read on with me, starting in verse 7. So to keep me... because. Coming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul was given a thorn in the flesh, which he also calls a messenger of Satan keep him from becoming conceited. It's really hard to think you're all that when you have something constantly annoying you. It's really hard for me to think I'm all that when I'm always one step away from my sermon blowing off everywhere. <laughs> or another translation for our passage today reads, to keep me from exalting myself instead of becoming conceited. I think both of them work super well in this case. 
becoming conceited, keep me from exalting myself. Both are two sides of the same coin. Now, we don't know exactly what this thorn was. People have gone back and forth with different ideas. But for the sake of the point, honestly, it doesn't really matter what it was. What we know for sure is what we read here. The thorn was harassing Paul. It was a messenger of Satan, and he pleaded with the Lord to take it away. Now, quick note here, that the Lord does have power over all, and that includes the works of Satan, the devil. We see particularly in the book of Job, another story of God allowing Satan to harass one of his children only for that child of God to worship God even more instead of denouncing him. God is sovereign over everything, even bad things like the works of Satan. He doesn't send the bad things himself, but he rather allows it to happen. If you would like to know more about that particular concept, the book of Job is a great book to read on that. So Paul pleads with the Lord three times for this thorn to be removed. And what does God reply with? He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Let's split this verse into two parts to grasp the importance of both. The first half of the Lord's response says, my grace is sufficient for you. The Lord has given us all that we need in his grace. But what is his grace? His grace is his love, mercy, and favor towards us. It's what saves us from condemnation because of our sin. His grace is him sending his son to die on the cross in our place for our sins. His grace is what saves us from the grasp of Satan. His grace is what saves us from our sinful flesh. His grace is all we need because he has given us all we need. The Lord has given us all that we need in his grace. And let me say that again, because I'm sure a lot of you, what you might have heard was the Lord has given us a lot of what we need in our grace. But no, the Lord has given us all that we need in his grace. He says his grace is sufficient for us because it is. Our souls, our lives, our everything is safe because of his grace. The second half of the Lord's response is, For my powers made perfect in weakness. Everything that I said before, God sending his son to die for us, saving us from Satan and our sinful flesh, all of that we can never do ourselves. We do not have the power to save ourselves. We are weak in that way. But in our inability to save ourselves, God's ability saved us. His power is made perfect because we cannot do it ourselves. The perfection of the work of Christ in our lives is shown even more perfectly when we are weak and relying on him. Since he is all we need, when we realize that, we worship him and want to lead others to that same power, to that same peace. Commentator Dan Othlon puts it this way. He writes, God's power interlocks with humans not as they rise up to meet him in power, but at the point of their deepest weakness. God's upside-down formula for gospel impact is not divine strength plus human strength, but divine strength plus human weakness. So even though Paul feels 
harassed and annoyed and brought down after an amazing supernatural experience due to this thorn is for the purpose of glorifying God and Paul's sanctification by humbling him and loving him. Our God is so sovereign and so powerful that he can use even bad things, bad seasons, bad experiences, yes, even bad people to achieve his good purposes for us. The Lord is always in control and will always work all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now Paul continues and responds to the Lord's response in the second half of verse 9 and verse 10. Paul writes, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul is okay with whatever weaknesses may come into his life because he knows it is ordained by God to show God's perfect power and that Paul will get to experience more of that power by resting on God. That's what makes Paul strong. When you rely on God, you feel his love. You feel his grace for you. You go closer to him. When you go closer to God, you trust him more. Not that he becomes more trustworthy as if he wasn't before, but you realize how trustworthy he really is. So you start to be more okay with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. So when you face a thorn of any kind, whether it be a weakness, insults, hard times, persecutions, or anything outside of your control, have faith that it will build your faith and reliance on God who is still in control and uses this thorn for his good purposes. Trust in the Lord, who has everything under his sovereign hand. And trust in him everything, especially your thorns. Surrender to his good purposes and understand that even though you might not understand, God is good all the time and loves you so much. He loves you enough to save you from your sins and he loves you enough to save you from your pride and to push you closer to him even if that involves using thorns. Theologian John Piper says it really well when preaching on these verses. He says, The deepest need that you and I have in weakness and adversity is not quick relief, but the well-grounded confidence that what is happening to us is part of a greater purpose of God in the universe, the glorification of the grace and power of his Son, the grace and power that bore him to the cross and kept him there until the work of love was done. That's what God is building into our lives. That is the meaning of weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. So in conclusion, when it comes to thorns, we know that sometimes we can't escape them. We're going to get hardships in life. We're going to get sick. We're going to be annoyed, even seriously hurt. But our hope 
is in far more than our momentary comfort. Our hope is in God, who is sovereign over everything, even the thorns we may experience in our life, and that makes us strong even when we are weak, because His strength is upon us. We know that God has a purpose for our thorns, whether that be to keep us humble, give us testimonies of His greatness to spread later, or simply just to build more saving faith in Him. Because of this, our focus should be on Him and His gospel for us. That's what ties us to Him, and that's what ties all of us together. That's the common ground that we all share, and the encouragement for all of us. It's what gives us life. We don't need any special revelation from God, because we've already been given the special revelation. His Word, the Bible, and His Holy Spirit. Ultimately, we stay humble because the perfect power of God and his gospel is all that we need for daily encouragement, strength, and faith, no matter what thorns we experience. Our God is more than enough for us. He is sufficient, and his power is made perfect in weakness. Remember that if God doesn't that God doesn't become more trustworthy as if he wasn't before, but we grow in faith and trust in him. So if you right now are sitting here and you don't feel like God is enough for you, then you need to learn more about him. Grow in knowledge and faith in our God by learning about his gospel and his promises for us in his word. Our God is enough for us. And honestly, sometimes we need thorns to see that. So don't feel hopeless when thorns come, but rather full of hope in our God who works all things for good, including thorns. Let's close with this encouragement from Isaiah 40. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your sovereign hand over all situations, even thorns in our life. Lord, we pray for relief, for thorns in our lives. Lord, we even plead for relief from thorns in our lives. But even more than that, we pray that your name will be glorified. We pray that in every life situation, that we will grow in faith in you, especially with our thorns. Lord, we pray that you will give us wisdom pray that you would give us favor as we read upon your word week after week, day after day. Pray that you would keep us vigilant for those who attempt to distort the gospel of Christ. Pray that we would trust in your revelation as the revelation. And we thank you so much for your word. And we worship you because of that. In Christ's beautiful name we pray. Amen.